0: At Biltmore, fall is more than just the perfect time to experience the grace and grandeur of America's largest home. It's also the season to savor an award-winning selection from Biltmore's very own winery, then linger for an unforgettable evening of locally sourced seasonal cuisine, from simple and satisfying to fine four-star dining. Fall at Biltmore offers something for every taste. Stay and save up to 20% on select dates at Biltmore.com.
1: Impact of Influence The Murdoch Family Murders. This is the unfolding story of a powerful South Carolina family, the mysterious deaths they are linked to, and our quest to bring you the truth. The truth. Hello, friend. So grateful you're spending time with us, Matt Harris and Seton Tucker, Murdoch Podcast on Facebook and Matt Harris Podcast at gmail.com. We are in the middle. Are we in the middle or we near the end of the, we're not sure yet, of the Alec Murdoch double murder trial. And it is time to bring in our legal analyst. He's a former district attorney and he's a former defense attorney. He is John Snyder. Good day, John. Good day to you all. And John, you've been involved in murder trials, correct? I have. Tried a number of them and defended a couple. All right. So... Seton, a lot of people have been begging for John.
2: Yes, we've had a lot of listeners reaching out saying, where is John Snyder? And we've just been so busy that we are all trying to manage and figure out the logistics <laughs> of how to make this podcast happen with a fast-moving trial.
0: Again, it's hard to digest and process when every minute of the day you've got new stuff that we could talk about and spend hours on.
1: Correct, correct. So, Seton, start us off.
2: Okay, so each day the judge instructs the jury not to discuss the case. And I actually had a listener who reached out to me. She was at the courthouse and said that this must be really difficult considering all of the awful things that these jurors have had to hear and see. I mean, they've seen these pictures of Paul and his injuries, which, you know, his brain was at his feet. They're really horrific. It's got to be very difficult for them to see these things. And they're not able to discuss these things. How do jurors deal with this, and are they provided with any sort of support?
0: That is a great question, and the most honest answer is they have to just deal with it, and it's part of being a citizen of this country that we we will serve on a jury, no matter what what the subject matter is. I, I believe that every one of them that committed to be on there was thoroughly vetted by the judge, and. You know, he asked all kinds of different ways to say, hey, you understand if I tell you to do something, that's what you have to do. And they've, they've all agreed to that across the board. So I think they understood the weight of what was going to be dealt them through looking at evidence, hearing arguments, the time away from work, the time away from family. And we talk about the, the benefits of being an American citizen and 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 one of the the duties is to serve on you know, voting, and serving on a jury are are two of the you know, most important things we can do as citizens.
2: What well, another kind of juror question is that we've received is why aren't they sequestered, and how can we guarantee that these jurors are not looking at the media?
0: Yeah, they're under the court's jurisdiction, who has arrest power, who has the weight of the state of South Carolina on his half, on his behalf. And so if he tells them, don't look at a paper, don't talk to anybody about it, and if you find out that somebody did, come tell me, that's what happens. And so we had a case where a juror came by my office while I was, while I was a prosecutor to say hello to one of the staff members that that he knew from somewhere else because, you know, he had time to kill in the courthouse. Well, we had to excuse that juror, and that was an issue that the murderer raised on appeal.
1: Now, speaking of appeals, I wanted to ask you if you think the fact that the financial misdeeds and crimes of Alec Murdoch were admitted by Judge Newman, is that A is that something that could be revisited in an appeal?
0: Absolutely. So, in two ways one, an issue on appeal will be whether the judge should have allowed that evidence in, and two, whether counsel rendered ineffective assistance by asking the question that the judge used. As his basis of, quote, opening the door, unquote.
1: Hmm. Okay.
2: When we heard from Alex Paralegal, and they're going through all of these financial misdeeds and asking if they had to make their clients whole, and she says time and time again, because Alex stole. And, you know, the judge has instructed the jury that they are only con- to consider these financial crimes to motive. And my question is, how is that possible? I mean, how can you know, he's he seems to be the scoundrel who stole from his clients. He stole stole from his own brother and he deceived close friends. How is it possible to separate the two?
0: Well, that is where defense counsel and their closing will remind the jury. Even if everything they say about him is true related to the financial crimes You can't use that against him in deciding whether he committed a murder. The state has to prove all of the elements of a murder. It it can't just be he's a bad guy, just like it can't just be, well, he's a drug dealer, or it can't just be he and his wife fought a lot. It's got to be the elements of the crime charge for which he is on trial right now. He is not on trial for the financial crimes.
2: It seems like he's on trial for the financial crimes. <laughs> yes, I yes. mean, it does. We're, we're we're hearing a lot about those, and I am still myself struggling to make that connection between the pressure and if these financial crimes really could lead to killing your wife and son. It hasn't. It
1: seems like it's still going to come out. Yeah, I mean, he's delaying it, it by maybe a couple months. It,
2: yeah, it it was only delayed by a couple months. They were still eventually discovered and. What I think has been somewhat effective on Cross is you still discovered all this stuff. It, it didn't, by killing your wife and son, didn't make these problems go away.
0: The state's got to show a connection and or the state has to be careful not to beat up on them so much that the jurors are like, well, we don't know if he committed the murder Why do they keep, you know, is it that they can't prove the murder? So they're just trying to prove to us how bad he is. Wow. Hoping we'll convict. I mean, it's it's such a balance, one. And then two, it's such a guessing game over how juries decide things.
1: I want to mention the possible uh, Eddie Smith arrival in court because you mentioned it in a few things you mentioned a bit ago. If Eddie Smith, cousin Eddie Smith, for those who don't know, was involved in the suicide for hire, whatever you want to call it, on Labor Day weekend, we'll get to that in a minute. But what I want to get to about the Eddie Smith thing is he and Alec have been charged with basically running drugs. If Eddie Smith testifies, does that open the door for drug conversation?
0: I'm not sure how... The defense would package that. You know, it's not an alibi. They can't say it was Kaiser so say <laughs> while it was actually the guys charged with the crime the whole time. You know, so there's some limits on the doubt that they can raise or the characters that they can say may have done this. Eddie's either going to come in and say, he asked me to help him clean up from what he had done. Or Eddie's going to say, we both used to get high a lot together, and I don't know, you know, I don't know anything.
2: We were hearing from Chris Wilson, and it kind of brought up about this Labor Day shooting incident, and the judge did not allow it because of hearsay. But really, my question to you about this is, this was something that happened after the murders of Maggie and Paul. So how does that relate to the case in general?
0: It's part of the commission of the crime in that they are still, the the murder itself is done, but the concealment of the murder is not. And so that, that these things are all transactionally related to the actual murder.
1: It's kind of a leap to say that having Eddie shoot him for insurance money or whatever they're going to come up with is a way to cover up the murders. I don't see how that would, unless Alec's dead, right? I, I, I and I think that's well, what they. Pro- you know, I think that's what the uh, the defense is arguing.
0: Wild, wild speculation here, but Eddie, come help me clean this thing up. A few days later, man, I feel really bad about what I did. Will you just shoot me so I can make sure my son gets money?
1: Well, that's what the the Fitz news has reported that Eddie is going to say is that Alec confessed to him. Wait, I do have
2: to make a little side note about this. In the Fitz News article, there was, you could see, they had a picture of the bullet wound on top of Alex's head, which we got so much heck and stress when we said, when we had the doctor on there and said, yeah, no, it does appear as if he really had a legit injury.
1: Yeah. People were giving us all kinds of crap saying he wasn't shot. He wasn't shot. Why are you guys saying he was shot?
2: It appears as if he really was shot. Yeah. It was a grazing wound. It wasn't life-threatening, but he was shot.
1: And it bled a lot. Yeah. so. If Eddie says Alec confessed, how do you think that holds up? Is that it put a fork in Alec or what?
0: I don't know. I mean, Eddie has a lot of works on him. You know, we used to have this this kind of saying, you know, sometimes when you're trying the devil, you have to go to hell to get the witnesses. And so you're not always going to get the cleanest and best people in the world to be testifying on your behalf when it involves. You know, crime. Some sometimes criminals commit crimes, so mm-hmm. it's you know it's not it's not all Sunday school teachers and, and bank managers. That being said, if there's evidence that supports what has been said and what the testimony is, I think he gets he gets everything he wants to say admitted, and then the defense will have at him. Yeah, and they they'll bring in character witnesses to be like, you know, Eddie does this, Eddie does that. He's a horrible human being. So the defense hasn't even begun, if right. you will. Right. They've they've only been laying bricks in the foundation of the defense house that they will build.
2: So to me, the most damning thing towards Alec is this video. From Paul's cell phone, where you can hear Elc in the background and and Maggie placing him at the kennels at eight forty four and he, in multiple interviews with law enforcement and also to his friends, never mentions this. It's almost as if he's forgotten this. Is this enough to convict someone on murder?
1: and I want to add one more thing to that, and also the state is saying the murders only happened just a few minutes after that,
0: yes, right, so John you've got to have circumstantial evidence is completely acceptable in convicting someone for murder. And so is the weight of the evidence, when you consider all the little bits and pieces together, Eddie's Eddie's wounded testimony, cell phone tower pinging, cell phone records, uh, calls made, alibis you know nipped at from each side and a video that has him clearly somewhere where he says he never was that is enough i believe for a conviction
2: okay but let's get to what you've just talked about we've received all of this really technical information we've re- we've heard about gunshot residue We've heard about shell casings, two and a half hours of shell casings, every shell casing (laughs) that was ever found at Moselle, cell phone data, car data, steps. We've heard about all of this, and it is really pretty confusing, and I don't know how the jury is able to comprehend all of this information and if the state has actually connected all the dots in relation to this information. It's, It's a lot.
0: Their job is not to connect all the dots with every witness. So at the end of each witness's testimony, they don't have to say, and Alec committed the murder. They just have to testify to their little part. Then the state, in their closing argument, will walk the jury down the long path that they've been taken on and show them at each point in the path that leads to the elements of the crimes charged they have met their burden beyond a reasonable doubt.
1: I have a question kind of tying in with that. When they have all these, these experts on, especially the one when it came to the number of steps on the phone, when the phone was off, when the screen was off, the orientation of the phone, they didn't use any kind of like great chart or great presentation that you might make in front of a school to say something. Do they have to do that kind of thing there? Can they save it for closing arguments? And do they even need that?
0: They absolutely will have world-class presentation skills going on at the end of this case.
1: So if you're trying a case, you're going to save that for the end?
0: Absolutely, because when we go see Hootie and the Blowfish, they don't open up with hold my hand. You close with your best stuff.
2: Let's move into this testimony about this blue tarp or raincoat. There was a caregiver for... Alec's mother, who says that she saw Alec carrying this tarp rolled up in his arm. Um, And then it appears as if SLED tested. This blue raincoat was found, which could have been the tarp. We don't really know. Um, But they didn't test the tarp. Is this a problem?
0: I don't think so. They'll either clean that up in argument, say, hey. We've seen a, a blue raincoat admitted into evidence. We've seen a tarp admitted into evidence. This witness identified Alec as being in sole possession of this raincoat. Again, they'll clean that up through the process.
1: Well, they might ignore it because last we knew, they don't know where it happened to the tarp. And as far as we know, there's no proof of that being Alec's coat. I haven't seen any pictures of him wearing the tarp. I'm wearing the tarp, wearing the uh, rain slicker.
2: Yeah, it was very unclear to me if you can really make the connection to the raincoat to Alec. I was actually very surprised that the, the judge allowed the raincoat in, but it sounds like you weren't.
0: I'm not because, again, the defense gets to come back, look. All the red herrings the state is throwing at you to try to distract you from the fact uh, they can't meet their elements.
1: I have a basic question. A lot of times there's real kind of dry testimony and exhibits and blah, blah, blah. Is a lot of that procedural, they just need to get things entered and they won't really care what the jury thinks. They might not ever bring it up again. Is is a lot of it just legalese?
0: Absolutely. The state has to do everything they're supposed to do that that the statutes say they're supposed to do and that case law says they're supposed to do. So while it seems completely pointless both to a juror and those of us that are observing the trial, if the state failed to do it or they would get a conviction but it would be overturned on appeal.
1: I want to go in with that a little bit more because we did have a question from Beth that says, there seems to be a lot of fumbling around by the lawyers for displays or papers. Is this normal in trials? Is it? Because it is crazy how like they're fumbling around. They're trying to get it on the screen. It's not on the screen. They can't see it. It's a lot of what appears to be wasted time trying to get these visuals into the record. Is this pretty normal? It
0: depends on the litigator. It depends. You know, they could be fumbling around on purpose because it looks like juror number eight uh, had too much to eat at lunch, and, <laughs> and he's kind of falling asleep. And so you, you make a little commotion to get them to pop back up in their seat.
2: Griffin actually dropped a gun at one point. I think that was last Friday.
1: Oh, I remember. Yeah. And
2: it was everyone. I think everyone just kind of was in the courthouse. We all just kind of jumped
1: and you that's a that's a common little trick to bang something john
0: it, it's a common trick to bang something i worked with a lawyer that used to he he had an advil bottle that he would roll while somebody was testifying to something he didn't want the jury to really listen to <laughs> he would roll an advil bottle back and forth and you could see the jurors head following the bottle not not listening to the testimony wow. that, that, would hurt his case.
2: I want to talk a little bit about some of the questions that we've received about SLED. We see the Snapchat video with Alec earlier in the day with Paul riding around the property, and he's in different clothing. So the SLED officer testified that she searched the house for any sort of bloody clothing, and she eyeballed the showers and drains. And we also know that the family was allowed to congregate in the home at Moselle, Do you think this is a problem for the state's case?
1: And I want to add a little bit to that is the fact that SLED didn't search that house the night of the murders. It was well into the next morning and she walked around with John Marvin, I believe, and one of the attorneys. So again, so that leads to the question, John, what what do you think about this presenting SLED as either incompetent or protecting the Murdochs at the beginning? either way how does it look to uh, the jury
0: well so it's it's interesting at the beginning law enforcement will be viewed as oh they were sympathetic to him and now they're they're all testifying against him but but look you're supposed to secure a crime scene and it's reasonable if members of a family are dead from a gunshot and there's a house nearby but you might want to secure the house also in case it was part of the crime scene. I, I don't want to pick on law enforcement, but that seems to be kind of law enforcement 101. And all the people that I know that would do a murder scene would be very clear that nobody was setting any, any foot onto Moselle unless they were part of an evidence log. They were, you know, they were listed and they were, they were part of the investigative team.
1: Take a little break and uh, get you ready for some traveling you've got coming up, some international trip where you want to be able to at least get around, right? So you want to learn the language of the country that you're going to. You want to experience it with a little bit of knowledge going in, and you can get a lot of bit of knowledge when you use Rosetta Stone. It's the most trusted language learning program. It's available on desktop. It can also be used as an app on your phone or tablet. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, Impact of Influence listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 40% off. That's 40% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 40% off at rosettastone.com today.
2: What about not testing the drains? Would- you know, when you were a prosecutor, would that have been something you would have done?
1: Yes, especially
0: if there's evidence of a cleanup. You want to show that anything that might be evidence, because DNA will, won't necessarily wash down a drain. And, you know, or you want to find evidence that there was a bunch of bleach. And so there's all kinds of things that that happened that show um, that, you know, there was actually a cleanup from the crime so that because because you're going to use that in evidence you might say well hey the defense lawyer is going to say well where's the dna and the prosecution is going to have a witness that says who needs who needs dna when i've got bleach why why was there bleach in a bathroom that nobody uses that kind of thing
2: okay let's talk about the clothing that Alec was wearing the night of the murders we know that there was the snapchat video from earlier in the day the SLED officer testified that she did not find any sort of bloody clothing. But I'm a little bit confused about where the state is going with the clothing because we heard from gunshot residue experts who say that he had some gunshot residue on his shirt. On cross, they say that's consistent. He said he went back and got a firearm. Then we also hear, did he look like someone who just shot someone in close proximity? And they kind of go with the assertion that maybe there was... that he was wearing different clothing. As a juror and as just a member of the public who is watching this trial, I'm confused.
1: And what we discussed and you're, you're trying to uh, unconfuse yourself. (laughs) I'm trying to figure it out is okay. So they, they say he changed clothes after the murder. Then why are they testing? The theory is he changed clothes. He shot him in the clothes he's wearing in the Snapchat video. Why is he, why are they testing the clothes that he's wearing at the murder? Because they're saying that isn't the clothes. Well,
2: I don't know if that's what they're saying. What right. I'm saying Which is, is I don't know what they are saying.
1: Yeah, good point. Do you understand what we're saying and what the jury might be thinking? Yeah, so the jury's going to
0: want to know what what was he wearing at the time that the murder took place and where are those clothes? And that th- they may be specifically not diving deep on that. Until they call Eddie to the stand, where Eddie's going to say, oh, he had on X, Y, and Z. Well, what happened to that outfit? Well, we, we made a burn pile out in the woods, <laughs> and he had clothes with him that he'd gotten out of his house, I guess.
1: Now, remember, this is wild speculation, people. This is just throwing out a theory. Just want to clear that up.
0: Yeah. But, but but so my yeah recommendation to everybody that's watching is, the state's not done yet, so I wouldn't judge how strong or weak their case is until, all, until they rest. And at that point, you can say, oh, they're toast. Or you can say, wow, Eddie just hit it out of the park.
2: Absolutely. that's it. I've been getting so many questions about what I thought, and we found out that certain things that we had heard before this trial started weren't true. Some things are true. I'm taking the approach of we should all listen to all of the evidence before making our decision.
1: And also what you just said right there is it's hard for us sometimes because we've been doing this podcast for so long to try to remember to focus only on the things the jury has heard. Yes. that That's tough sometimes because we know all these other things.
2: Yeah, speaking of, we've had all these in-camera hearings to determine about admissibility of the financial crimes and the drug connection of his opioid addiction. Is this normal for this not to be decided before the trial starts?
0: I think it's very typical to to wait until one side or the other actually brings it forward. Because what a judge doesn't want to do is issue what, what they would call an advisory and opinion, which is, I think counselors that if this happens then then this is my opinion. Well, when a judge gives an opinion, that's law. That 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 controls the process, that controls the admissibility of something. And so no judge worth his salt or her salt is going to make a ruling prematurely. And and so I think it's wise advocacy for both sides to say, hey judge. We, we are going to want to talk to you about this. When do you want to talk about it? And in this case, the judge has said, we're going to talk about it if, if one side or the other opens the door or whenever you get ready to call that particular witness you have an issue with.
2: The defense was able to get one of the SLED officers to admit that it was possible that there was a second shooter is that a problem with getting a conviction here
0: Not at all they don't have to prove anyone did anything else other than the man currently on trial for murder the defense may present evidence that shows it wasn't Alec it was the other guy and Alec was scared because he was at gunpoint and he watched his wife and son be murdered we we just don't know what what they're going to say but again is it possible for you to win the billion dollar lottery it is in fact possible and so that's a truthful answer by law enforcement that doesn't mean anything with what the evidence actually shows
1: harpoonling was really really good at this because he said is it reasonable that a second shooter so that reasonable doubt reasonable he, he was sly getting that word in right
0: Absolutely. He's laying, laying groundwork, putting the foundation in for their vociferous attack on everything we've seen in the last two plus weeks.
2: I've received a lot of questions from listeners about whether the jurors have been taking notes, and I haven't seen any of them taking notes. Why might they not be taking notes?
0: They are either not allowed to. In South Carolina, the judge has discretion over whether the jurors can take notes and and i'll give you the both reasons why it's a good idea and i'll give you reasons why it's a bad idea one the judge gets to make that decision sometimes judges will allow it in especially complex cases or the judge just is pro notes when i first started practicing jurors were not allowed to take notes at all and that law changed in North Carolina where, where they were allowed to. And, and the idea behind that is the anti-note camp says, we want the jurors to only listen to the evidence as it's presented, What you don't want to have happen. And this happens a lot is that the, that you get into a battle of note takers during deliberations. So juror number seven is really good. and has really good notes. Juror number three is really good and has good notes, but those notes conflict. Well, you can make an so you a judge, can make an
2: error in your notes. I mean, you
0: you can make an error in your notes, and and so a judge that doesn't want notes doesn't want them because he wants you to only decide it based on your recollection in court. Wow. And then if you have a juror question, you can come back and ask for for things that so. Then you don't want a juror selling their note or doing something related to, you know, it's a high publicity case. You know, you don't want to create another potential record on appeal. And so that would be a reason why not to. A reason, too, is we're covering massive amounts of real estate of evidence. And so jurors should be able to sit there, make a roadmap of what they've heard what their reflection is of what they heard, and then when they go to deliberate, they can go, They can go recall their notes. I can see both sides of the argument, but I understand why a judge might say no.
1: I got a listener email from Katrina in Missouri. She says, "I know attor- attorneys are supposed to be cordial, but I find the lead prosecutor's behavior off-putting. To begin with, you can tell he's not a jolly guy by nature, so he shouldn't act that way. Two, his cordial nature." It's a little offensive when you take into consideration he's attempting to prove a man killed his wife and, worst of all, his child. Alec may have committed the crime, but truly no one knows except Alec. So the matter should be treated with utmost seriousness since no one truly knows his guilt or innocence and the prosecution is attempting to prove his guilt. Do you have a thought on that and whether or not the demeanor of the attorneys matter and whether or not they should be allowed to have some fun throughout the course of the trial. Kind of going
0: back to our very first question today, which is, hey, these jurors have seen all kinds of awful. How do they process it? The same thing counts for the attorneys. They've seen all of this up close and personal. And so the gallows humor is, you know, is a way people deal with it. And So they're not, they're not being flippant. They're not taking anyone's life less serious. Than, than anyone else's. But yeah, you know, some people just deal with stress with humor. And so I wouldn't judge them by that. Also, you want to keep it spicy. The The jury has been sitting there for days mm-hmm. listening to the mechanics of cell phone towers. <laughs> so putting in a, putting in a something like, man, that was really boring. I can't believe you do that for a living or some, some comment like that is just a way to truly provide comedic relief to break up the tension, to break up the pace, to to set a mood, to make the witness more comfortable. So all of these things that maybe seem offensive are probably n- either ingratiating to the jury or ignored by the jury. And and I know myself in in closing arguments I've said Hey, I might have gone over top here in reacting to a witness, or you know maybe i i I you know threw my hands up at a ruling i'd I'd ask you to not to ignore that set that aside. I want you to focus on the evidence as applied to the law don't if i've if I've offended you and and you know as long as we've been sitting here together, I'm sure that I have.
2: Harpootlian actually said that in his opening argument. It, what did he say? If, if, yeah. if, if you don't like me, don't blame it on my client.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, yes, he did. So he set that up. Let's get right to this mistrial that uh, Dick Harpootlian started screaming about. Before we even get into what the technical aspect of it was, in a murder trial, which you've done, you've defended and prosecuted, and you've also watched a gazillion of them. How common is it? It seems very movie-like. Mistrial, Your Honor. How common is it?
0: Both sides, the whole time they are going through putting their case on, they are trying to avoid, with all costs, creating a mistrial from asking the wrong question, saying the wrong thing. And so defense counsel might raise it or a prosecutor might raise it, but it's not very common.
1: Okay, so it was interesting that he went that far. He was, seemed angry. Uh, the, the question came into play. The basis of it is this: Blanca, who worked for the Murdoch family, friends with Maggie, but did laundry and made meals and cleaned and all that sort of thing as well, was on the stand talking about she started to get into Maggie's frame of mind, Maggie Murdoch, who was murdered, saying that Maggie was worried about the financial situation of the 30 million dollars is the number Maggie said of what's going to be a possible loss for the Murdochs because of the lawsuit. In the boating fatality with Mallory Beach in 2019, Harpoulian says Maggie's state of mind does not matter. It's hearsay, and we're you know Maggie's not on trial here. Alec is on trial here. So how did you read that thing?
0: What's happening is this witness has introduced a whole new yes kind of branch of evidence, and what Harpoulian is arguing is that bringing in this branch of evidence is so prejudicial to his client that there's no way now to have a fair trial.
1: And he, however, uh, Judge Newman said wasn't having it and overruled that. You know, I, I should point out that for those who aren't following the whole thing, the motive that the prosecution is stating up, and they don't need motive, but it helps, is that Ellick was afraid the clock was ticking, the money gig was up, his scams were over, and so he had to do it on. June 7th or close thereof. There was a boating coming up where Alec had to reveal some of his finances just three days later. So the motive is that part. So Maggie now, because Blanca's saying Maggie was feeling that way, the leap is to say that Alec must have feeling that way. So, therefore, there's the tie-in. There's the urgency of offing the wife and son, right? So that's that's a whole new ballgame.
0: Correct. Like, just not not anywhere in the state's case till. She said those words today.
1: You were saying, as, as we were watching this case, we, we've talked about it, we didn't feel a sense of urgency because it just seemed they were kicking the, the can down the road. Maybe if he killed him, maybe he got another two months. But in this case, if Paul's dead, it puts an end to at least some of the uh, boat litigation. Mark Tinsley said he may not have even continued this against Alec because it's, it's a hard win, a guy who's suffering the loss of a wife and child. Do you think that theory holds up then?
0: No, I mean, I, I, I mean, I think the lawsuits would have stopped as soon as people realized there wasn't money to be had.
1: And so, so you're saying that the jury could say because we knew that it came up that he was negative three hundred, some thousand dollars in his bank account. The jury could think, well, why did he kill him? Because uh, even if they sued, he's not, you know, he's not going to lose twenty million. Maggie might say twenty million dollars, but we don't think he has it. Even though Tinsley kept saying, "I know he has it somewhere." So Correct. Is, is there a, so you think there's a, there, would, there would be a disconnect for the jury to say killing them saves him of losing $30 million? It rises to jump-the-shark level. You, you can paint the guys a, a scumbag, which they've been doing well over the last few days, screwing over his friends, screwing over his brother, screwing over his law firm that his dad started. Uh, explain to me instructions, John. They're telling him, right, do not pay attention to the fact that he's a, a bad dude. Only pay attention to motive.
0: The judge is saying to them, you cannot consider the evidence of him doing bad things as a implication of guilt. You can only consider it as an implication of his mental state.
1: Okay, but how real is that? I mean, people are hearing this over and over again.
0: Two schools of thought about that. One is it's a murder trial. The guy's on trial for murder, so they've already kind of seen and heard everything. -hmm. And they may have their mind made up. They may have their mind made up about hearing how he treated an office assistant, and they may just be like, "I don't like that guy." Mm -hmm. But but I think the jury will follow the judge's instruction on that, and not when they decide to convict him or or acquit him, it will be because of actual evidence, not the fact that he was a bad guy.
1: Okay when uh, witnesses are put on the witness list the obviously whoever calls them the state or the or the uh, defense they talk to those witnesses they go through everything they're going to talk about does the other side get to talk to the witnesses before they get on the stand
0: you have a right to talk to them you have uh, the ability to talk to them but they may not want to talk to you okay. and so that's why sometimes in criminal trials you'll see a criminal defendant sue on a civil claim so that they can compel depositions, they can compel sworn testimony. So you can call a police officer and say, hey, Tim, I want to talk about this case with you. Will you sit down and talk to me about it? And Tim can say yes or no. He's not under a subpoena. And he doesn't have to talk to you. And and most law enforcement officers will speak with defense lawyers, kind of give them a heads up of, hey, you ought to plead this out, or you ought to, you ought to, like when I stopped your client for drunk driving, I should let you know that he had on a hard hat that had two cans of Budweiser on each side with a straw in his mouth. (laughs) So a good a good defense lawyer is talking to the officers because that's part of his obligation in managing his client to say, hey, buddy. I think you're kind of toast on this charge. You should, you should take the plea offer, or you'll say, hey, after talking to that officer, he clearly has no idea what was going on and just kind of made something, is reaching. Right. And so we're going to take that to trial.
1: Uh, John Snyder, everybody, former prosecutor and former defense attorney and our legal analyst. Thank you, John.
0: Thank you, guys, and look forward to connecting soon with, with Eddie and some of these more uh, connected witnesses that the state plans on calling.
1: All righty, Johnny. Talk to you soon. Thanks, guys. Bye. Got another email that says, I love Seton's dad's analysis of the opening arguments. thought he brought up interesting points.
2: My dad who called me. He was like, I hope I didn't get you in trouble by my analysis because we got that a couple of, well, we're pro-defense
1: right we are just calling them as we see them day by day argument by argument witness by witness sometime we think the prosecution had a good day sometimes it's this this uh the uh, defense had a good day and we just tell you hopefully you'll make your own decisions
2: yes we definitely encourage independent thinking and we like for you to reach out to us even if you don't agree with us
1: exactly i want to read one other email before we go uh, hey, Matt, so glad to see you on Court TV, 8 to 9 most nights. I've been listening to your podcast from the beginning. I'm pretty sure I've listened to every episode. I might be behind a couple since started watching the trial. Uh, I still learn a lot by listening to you and Seton and John. Keep up the excellent work. I appreciate how you strive to get answers and don't force your opinions on the audience, just letting everyone work through this crazy situation. I'm curious. I haven't heard any significant discussion about Alec's opioid addiction, how it might have affected his thinking. I'm thinking that it could have had an impact. And is there any expectation that's going to be addressed by the prosecution? We uh, aren't sure yet.
2: No, it's, it's in. We have actually heard a few things about Alex's opioid addiction from a few witnesses.
1: We still don't know how in the entirety they're going to use it because there's still a whole lot of trial left, people. A whole lot of trial left. You can reach out to us on Murdoch Podcast on Facebook, Matt Harris Podcast at gmail.com, and we'll get to you hopefully a little quicker. We've been a little slow lately with all this going on, and of course, always, always grateful, and we'll talk soon.
2: My name is Bill Huffman, and I am a former Cleveland News producer, and I am now the host of the podcast, Who Killed? I began the show focusing on the unsolved murder of Amy Mahalovic. And now each week, I explore a different case with a focus on some of the victims who don't get the attention they deserve. I have a deep catalog of over 225 episodes, so there is a guarantee there will be something for you. Who Killed is an evergreen podcast, killer podcasts, and slow burn media production. Subscribe today, wherever you get your favorite shows.
1: On the morning of August 1st, 1966,